Hello everybody! Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. There is so much news to get to, so we are just diving right in. Here we go. Topic number one. What the heck happened at this year's World Scout Jamboree? Which is ironically under the motto, Be Prepared. The World Scout Jamboree is basically a huge gathering of scouts, like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, and all of the youth come together for this giant jamboree, for this giant summer camp type week of activities. This is not annual, it's every few years. A ton of planning obviously has to go into this. It really is like the Olympics. In terms of how far in advance they put their bids in for this, they start planning for it, all that stuff. So South Korea won the bid to host the 25th Jamboree back in 2017. So this has been very much in the making long term. The next one is actually going to be in Poland in 2027. So this global gathering this year attracted a crowd of 43,000 people from 158 countries for this 11-day adventure this year hosted in South Korea. Hosting this event was especially exciting for South Korea as like a cherry on top because they are completing the holy trinity of global events. They've hosted the Olympics, the World Cup, the World Expo, and now this bonus edition of the World Jamboree. There is really no amount of planning, though, that can fully prepare you for natural disasters. Maybe natural isn't the right word. Climate change rearing its ugly head. The heat wave and typhoon led to a host of the issues with this year's jamboree. It went off the rails pretty quickly. First of all, venue concerns had been raised pretty early because the specific spot in South Korea this event was going to be hosted on was this flat, shadeless area. They did plan to plant trees there and then decided instead to, I guess, spread some vines out for shade. So it was very makeshift in terms of shielding you from the heat. In this summer, actually, South Korea had to declare the highest heat warning from the past four years. It's been four years since they had to call this level of a heat warning. So the terrain was an issue, and the ground being too salty also was a reason they couldn't plant trees there. Not a good sign. The contract signed regarding when they would have guaranteed electricity and tap water usage approved, safety inspected, installed, etc. That contract only required it for being by the date, a date past the start of the jamboree. So at first, some electrical wiring had not been kept away from shower stalls. Plus, the Jamboree Global Youth Leader Center was not 100% done being constructed until August 1st, starting day of the jamboree. The heat led to over 1,000 people getting sick from either that or bug bites. So there were insects everywhere, some sanitation concerns, electricity and water shortages and concerns, the historic heat wave, and then that led to the U.S. and British scouts leaving early. Really bad PR-wise for South Korea, especially as they gear up to represent themselves on a global scale for the World Expo. One organizing committee member actually said the heat stress and heat-related illness was probably just fangirling, overexcited people there. Anyways, the typhoon did cause their big K-pop finale concert for the event to be changed to a new venue. 37,000 scouts had to relocate due to the typhoon threat. So first, it was hard to decide how to set up shop because it was a treeless, flat space with no shade, deemed insufficient for accommodating everyone sanitation-wise. But then, even if they really were able to pitch a tent in that swampy, muggy, humid condition, then so many had to relocate due to the typhoon threat. 
There are reports of overflowing trash cans, too few medical beds, too few supplies to tend to all the heat-related illness, waterlogged conditions, spoiled food as a result, reports of people sleeping on the ground, some even said in the airport because they just had nowhere else to set up. Space was lacking, proper hygiene was lacking, and a backup plan was also in some ways lacking. Because when they first realized they would have to change the venue of the K-pop show, they changed it to where a soccer game was going to be held. They really messed with the Ron fans. Korean soccer fans were irate over this, saying, come on, don't you have a plan B, get out of our space, don't make us cancel a game for your K-pop show. It was heated. They also said don't destroy our literal turf. Like, don't come on our turf, the green, fake grass they play soccer on. Because you'll damage it with your concert equipment. That's what happened with Sai's summer swag show. He damaged the turf of a sports complex, which is why they passed on holding his event the following year. So there were real concerns in addition to just fandom-related concerns with their soccer game being canceled due to this. Then the K-pop show was changed again for a new venue, but they weren't happy because by that point the other team had gone home, the game had been called off, and it could not be called back on. So it was off, on, off again. In addition to the bad weather, the lack of material support, and the concert venue debacle, there are also huge critics of the funding for this event. $87.6 million USD were used on this event. So people were upset how their public funds were dispersed, because apparently 74% of that budget went to committee operations for the organizing committee. Then, just the remaining small percent was saved for the cost of restrooms, showers, etc. So not enough distribution of that funding for sanitation concerns to be addressed. Critics also say it was a waste having the plan B to just destroy stuff. So after the 11 days, the facilities they had constructed would go down, being taken down at a cost of 5 billion won. So the lack of repurposing what all that public funding did go to also irked people. And how some of it was allegedly misused by the North Jola province governor, Kim Kwan Yun accused of misusing the money that was going toward the Jamboree budget and repurposing it for his own needs, his own desires. Travel overseas that was a vacation, not really written off as a business expense validly. He responded to the critics with an apology, but also while slamming media reports in saying the rumors of how he spent the money were largely exaggerated. He also claimed the UK scouts who left, citing the bad conditions, quote, exaggerated the toilet problems, unquote, so they could have an excuse to leave early. I also think it's valuable to point out that a huge government entity tasked with preparing this event is the Gender Equality Ministry. They have a big role in this, but that department has been super downsized and defunded in many ways since President Yoon Suk-yeol took power. President Moon Jae-in expanded that department, but it's shrunk under the new leadership. I'm just saying I wonder how much that budget downsize affected their ability to contribute materially to Jamboree Prep. So South Korea's dream PR scenario was turning into a nightmare. To make things worse, now the event was also plagued with reports of varied crimes. On August 15th, three miners, Jamboree scouts from Europe, were charged with theft. They took $75 worth of clothes, allegedly, from a store in Ghanam. 
Then there was the very uncomfortable shower incident. Quick trigger warning here if you have a feeling you know what crime I'm about to discuss. On August 2nd, a man working as a Jamboree supervisor allegedly snuck into the woman's restroom. It's very confusing. The reporting cites a cultural difference over him sitting in the shower. So to me, it sounds like a woman reported there's a man in our bathroom just using it sitting in the shower and was uncomfortable. And he said, no, it's not what it looks like. Maybe he didn't know it was the woman's room. I don't know. Some people apparently are focused on the singing part. Like that's the part that made her uncomfortable just because of a cultural difference. But I don't know what really happened. Anyway, the only charge against him was trespassing. That case was sent to prosecution August 16th, but it made people so uncomfortable when word spread about it that at least 80 scouts left, citing fear and discomfort. Because at first he had seemed to get just a verbal reprimand. The criminal charge came over 10 days later. Yet another negative headline for this event. A member of the People Power Party in South Korea, Rep. Sun Il John, suggested this event be salvaged by BTS coming to perform. Like the Jamboree concert should add BTS to the lineup. That would make up for all this. This rep publicly called for the military to grant approval and excused absence for the BTS members currently serving to perform. So that definitely drew BTS ARMY's backlash. Like, hey, first of all, don't bug them on a break. Second of all, don't belittle the importance of their military time defending the country for this concert. That idea, needless to say, was dropped. A quick timeline recap. July 25th, the safety check was complete. But all the official, official installation and stuff went into early August. When the event started, the opening ceremony already was the start of complaints and concerns about the heat, but organizers were adamant the event would continue as planned. But 88 people, due to the heat, had to go to the hospital August 3rd. August 4th, the president requested unconditional access to unlimited air-controlled buses. The Jamboree Committee, also early on, drained all these water puddles and installed these panels to prevent flood damage. So trying to course correct, but August 5th, British scouts announced their plans to leave, which prompted calls to just end this whole thing. This isn't working. People are fleeing. Bad PR here. Shut it down. That same day, though, Prime Minister Han Duxu confirmed, no, this is still happening as planned. The shower incident prompted 80 scouts at least to leave the event. Then, more companies kept trying to step in and salvage this event, course correct, like the Korean Water Business Corporation, which offered building access to some scouts. Other companies stepped up to offer help, shelter, entertainment indoors, because they had to change a lot of scheduling on a dime. There was some renewed optimism that this event would turn around for the better by August 7th. But August 8th, there was the typhoon risk and the Polish president canceled his planned trip to Seoul. Which is just kind of ironic because it just so happens that Poland is hosting the next jamboree. Maybe ironic's not the right word, but weird timing. Calls for the president to fire some people on these committees were rising by August 9th, which is also when the feud with Korean sports fans was really ugly. The typhoon was hitting around August 10th. Political blame games, finger-pointing, ensued the day after scouts completed the adventure. 
August 14th, the president thanked everyone who helped make this happen, and the province's governor issued an apology but got defensive as well. Then the three foreign scouts were charged for the alleged theft August 15th. I think the deeper context that is worth noting is from a South Korean, Jim Soon Kohn, who wrote an opinion piece in the Korean Herald pointing out different things, including a stereotype about some countries in Asia being ill-prepared for stuff, disease-ridden, unhygienic, and how this played to the worst stereotypes. He also said there is a stereotype that, quote, scrupulous or meticulous people are somehow not manly, unquote, which is interesting. Like a fear of looking not manly enough would stop you from prioritizing scheduling events. He also cites ageism issues and the belittling of the cries for help, you could say, complaints that come from youths as exaggerated or just not as important to prepare for. If the crowd had been older people, he thinks there may have been more preparation. But in the era of climate change that affects all ages, this is not his opinion. This is me now talking. In the era of climate change, no age group is just safe from a new exposure to disease and stuff. So anyway, I say this to say, I don't know how much was mismanaged or just ignored. I don't know what the red flags really were. In terms of the past few years of prep for this, I don't know how much they did right or wrong with it. I do know they were dealt a really bad hand. The PR disaster of it this year is really disappointing for them and plays into unfair stereotypes, generalizations. And I do want to highlight the many things that impressed me about the response to the backlash. I mean, stepping up to the plate right away for air conditioning, offering more water, draining the puddles, taking care of things, the quick reactions to people's complaints, that's worth appreciating. As well as many nearby businesses, places of worship that offered tours, demonstrations, workshops, magic shows even, live performances, dancing. They really tried to make the most of a terrible situation. They really tried to give scouts a wonderful experience. There's something to respect about seeing a situation some would call a crisis and quickly shifting gears instead of throwing in the towel. So I would hope that South Korea from this is not remembered for butchering this hosting gig, but for stepping up to the plate as much as they could given terrible circumstances. Now again, this is my bird's eye view of the situation. I don't know, maybe there was mismanagement in the preparation process. We will find out. They are going through an audit already to figure out what the heck happened that could have prevented some of the chaos and ill planning. But I do want to focus now on the good part of the response. There was a beautiful statement made by a Korean Buddhist, quote, Regardless of race, gender, or religious background, the Jamboree participants can enjoy the country's religious treasures, meet the Buddhist monks, experience meditation, and ways to make delicious healthy temple food, unquote. Then there's Reverend Kwan, who said, quote, More than one million volunteer workers helped to recover the worst oil spill in Korea in 2007. We offered our condolences over the tragic crowd surge in Seoul's Itiwan district. Providing the appropriate support in a difficult time is nothing new for the Korean churches. I simply wish the Jamboree Scouts could make great memories in Korea. Unquote. They also made sure to double sanitation personnel. So it went from 35 to 70 workers in 24 hours to take charge of the and address the sanitation complaints. People had a great time at the K-pop finale concert. It was a stacked lineup with 19 artists. 
everyone left with a cute goodie bag. And they got to see Heian from New Jeans, Yuna from Itzy, and the actor Gan Myun host it. The Secretary General of the World Organization of the Scout Movement said at the event's closing ceremony, quote, The last few days have not been easy, to say the least. I am painfully aware that you had other expectations, that your dream of this jamboree was a difficult one. I know this wasn't easy on you. No other event has faced this many challenges in extreme weather conditions. But also, no other jamboree in history showed the determination, creativity, and resilience of you scouts, unquote. If you are the kind of person who wants to be a scout and collect your badges and stuff, you probably are the kind of person who does take pride in handling tough situations with the right attitude. Now, I'm not saying they deserve this treatment or it happened for a reason, but I'm just saying, in hindsight, it shouldn't be surprising that scouts were willing to not give up making this memorable in a good way. It's quite a split screen because news coverage of the politicians yelling at each other is so heated. And then news coverage interviewing the actual campers is so happy. They're so just enjoying themselves despite the conditions. Some quotes include, Even if I were to go back in time and I knew these troubles would still occur, I'd still participate. It was a very challenging experience, but this is really what scouting means. We should always be ready to face the challenges. I'm thankful that I got to experience this jamboree. This was one of the best experiences I had in my life. The word evacuation sounds pretty depressing, but we're staying in nice dormitories, getting to experience many activities. I'm enjoying my trip so far. My family was walking in a park. The Korean people have been so welcoming and kind. The experience my family has had with the Korean people so far has been wonderful. So politically, this jamboree was a disaster for people. But in the minds of the scouts, this was a fun vacation. A fun, eventful vacation. The political blame game is complicated by the fact the planning started when Moon Jae-in was president and the event was held after a new president was in charge. So some argue, hey, the former president should have done more of the advanced prep and dropped the ball. Others said more of the blame should lie with the current administration. Former President Moon Jae-in actually did issue an apology for how this event unfolded. Lawmakers requested the meeting attendance of senior officials from the area, and none showed, which disappointed them. There was an official statement issued by the Board of Audit and Inspection. Quote, the inspection will look into the entire event from the bidding stage to the planning process to the actual operation until the last day, unquote. I'm just going to leave you with what one lawmaker in these heated discussions said, quote, all these blame games before the young people is what is truly embarrassing, unquote. Let's move on to Japan about troubling, to say the least, behavior. Now, this story is quite sensitive and deals with assault allegations, so listening discretion is advised. You can skip ahead a couple minutes if you want to not hear this, but I will keep it very vague in terms of the crime and focus more on the cover-up. A UN Human Rights Council investigation has backed up claims that J-pop company extraordinaire Johnny Kitagawa did indeed commit abuse against hundreds of boys. This has been an open secret in the J-pop world, but stayed very under-discussed. He had a habit of this. At his company, Johnny's and Associates, he called the trainees his Johnny's Juniors, which looks really bad in hindsight. 
and allegedly made some of them take hormones and stuff to stay looking as prepubescent as possible. He would bribe them financially and with career opportunities as leverage to get them to do things they were very, very uncomfortable with doing. Johnny's and Associates really ran J-pop before. It was neither overnight nor inevitable, though. I mean, they were formed in the 60s, but they didn't skyrocket in fame until the 80s and 90s. And by then, they really became a monopoly on J-pop. Making a negative claim about them was really risky for your career, and TV networks, other media did not want to do it. They feared a blacklist from the company behind practically every artist they wanted to interview. So media reportage stayed pretty low, even though reports of former Johnnies and Associates trainees coming forward with allegations, those headlines have been occurring again and again over the years, but without making a splash. This dates back even to the mid-90s, when one trainee released the book called All About Johnnies, about his experience. And he talked about feeling coerced under the threat that if he didn't acquiesce to Kitagawa's demands, he would stay a trainee forever, never be allowed to debut. The book got very scant Japanese media coverage. Then, a magazine, Shukan Bunshin, was sued after reporting about the allegations in 1999. For nearly a million dollars in damages, Kitagawa's agency sued big time for this. It was very serious reporting, revealing some victims were as young as 12 years old. The Tokyo High Court eventually ruled 9 out of the 10 allegations in the article had merit. This whole drawn-out court battle got scant media coverage. In part, I guess you could say it was because it was in civil court, not criminal. Maybe that affects how much media view it as newsworthy, unfortunately. It's not as salacious, I guess, to them if it's civil court. But anyway, Kitagawa called the shots and stayed company president until he died in 2019 at age 87. Then his niece took over the company, and it has stayed pretty tight-lipped, although changed in some significant ways we will get to in a minute. The 1999 exposure of this guy led to no charges or even a police investigation. At least there's zero paperwork, zero paper trail to confirm they launched one. In 2009, a Johnny's boy band member was arrested for public indecency, but the word suspect was avoided in media coverage. They really downplayed what happened and seemed very skittish about word choice, framing it as culpable in any way. In addition to the recent UN statement, this is also back in the news, at least in North America, because of the UK's BBC documentary Predator, which came out March 7th, 2023. The first TV station that dared to mention it waited a month and did so in April. This was also when a former Johnny's Jr. spoke at a press conference, revealing that over a hundred people were probably victims. This BBC documentary was also made available online, in Chinese and English, but no Japanese subtitle option. Predator, The Secret Scandal of J-Pop, had reporting by Mobin Azar, and he talked to who he could, which wasn't many people, but he did talk to one man who used a pseudonym, never shared his story before, talked about joining the agency, sending them a cover letter by age 15 being enchanted by the prospect of getting a superstar dream fulfilled. They tried and tried to talk to Julie, the niece that now runs the network, the company, but they kept getting directed to this guy in marketing instead, who was super uncooperative, dismissive, and had not much to say. They even went to the company's headquarters, but were predictably shooed away. 
and the documentary ends on a pretty strong note, I would say. I will say just from a movie critic perspective, the documentary was a bit weird in how much it tried to touch on bigger entertainment industry themes in a short amount of time. Like so much extrapolating and then just scratching the surface. It didn't cover enough in enough depth. From a storytelling standpoint, the narrative would have been more effective if they had either pulled back and focused just on the allegations or expanded more on the bigger themes, but not this bit of both. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend the documentary. It is pretty predictable. They got stonewalled. But I will say it has a very strong, important ending, with a statement about the most shameful part of all of this being the lack of a reckoning, the open secret of it all, that it has just been allowed and enabled even after he's dead. People are still frightened to critique this organization. His legacy really is living on and frightening people. The documentary does touch on important issues, although like I said before, not enough. One is this don't rock the boat attitude in Japan, this sense of none of my business that prevents some people from really taking a stand publicly, showing solidarity or support for someone with such a massive allegation. The documentary also highlights the stigma around male victims of this abuse, and especially in Japan, the taboo against therapy, things like that. Apparently, men being assault victims was not even officially in the law, like didn't even consider men as victims in Japan until a rewrite in 2017. And apparently, the age of consent in Japan is 13. This documentary, as of recording time, you can't watch in Japan. It was available for a little bit on BBC News Japan and then Hulu and Prime for BBC Japan subscribers. But that lasted 22 days, then it was pulled. The parent company was reportedly, quote, in a panic, unquote, after Hulu premiered it. Behind the scenes, there's been some nerves about this getting out. BBC has tried to get around bans, and that is why they uploaded a subtitled version to YouTube that, as of recording time, should still be up. The BBC is also apparently working on finding ways to publish more bonus content from the investigation. If you listened to my other show, Enthusiasts, I did an episode interviewing Maureen Ryan. She's been covering TV in Hollywood for quite some time. And one of the things her book outlines as one of the many myths of Hollywood is the myth of necessary monsters which I found so interesting. The way to think about how you might wonder why are all these terrible guys in charge in Hollywood still? Maybe it's not despite their terrible traits, it's because of them. It's the way they can get away with more because it's viewed as they're just a creative, quirky genius. They're a creative genius that negates what they do personally. That mentality of people put up with this director, this writer, whatever, because that's who they are. They're just above us humans when it comes to moral guidelines they have to follow. That is a part of her book, In Our Talk, that I've thought about quite a lot while reflecting on this Kitagawa series of revelations. How much people feel like he got away with stuff because it's worth it for what he did to put J-pop on the map or whatever. People always find a reason to excuse what certain high-profile people do as just how they are. It comes with the territory. That's just how these people are. That's just how people run stuff. That's how you get stuff done. That toxic attitude is universal. But yeah, they still kind of worship him in some ways. His memorial was even held in Japan's largest stadium. What I will say is reason to hope, though, that his influence fades, is that J-pop is not what it used to be. 
First of all, it's not a monopoly anymore. There are so many more artists now under so many more companies, some even just starting their own agencies, that the total control as like a parent company to all your favorite artists is not the case. So let's say now you are blacklisted from working with Johnny's and Associates groups. Now you have more options. You're not stuck out of luck. You now have more artists to platform still. So it's not a blacklist kicking you out of the whole reporting world. K-pop has helped with that. You have groups like Seventeen, BTS, they have a lot of Japanese language programming, so TV shows still can air a lot of content, even if Johnny's and Associates bans them. Parts of his influence also might be going away because certain mindsets he had don't work anymore. One was his extreme value on privacy. Like, literally, hardly any pictures exist of him. Like, documentaries like this one had to draw him. Like, he's very beyond private. Media coverage of his groups required NDAs and stuff. It was very intense. And we don't live in that world anymore, where you can gatekeep information so tightly. You just can't now. Things go online, whether you want them to or not. So embracing the change in promotional ability of YouTube and stuff, that's just essential now. So that Kitagawa value can go away. As can his belief that Japanese artists could never make it globally. He really thought, let's just focus at home, locally. The rest of the world is too racist to accept you. Look, the world is racist, but fortunately people proved him wrong about who would not be accepting Japanese music. From rock artists like Baby Metal to cutesy girl groups, there have been so many examples of J-pop groups getting popular across the world. All kinds of Japanese artists. And there's more crossover when it comes to what content you make, period. Not just global collaboration on music, but on building groups like J1, groups like Horizon. They're blurring the lines between a K-pop and a J-pop company, a K-pop and a Filipino group, a T-pop group, all these extra pops, T-pop, P-pop, etc., that really got into high gear in the 2010s. Now they get to fill a space in the world of music programming and entertainment. Call me naive, but I would also like to think that these allegations will put a stain on their brand. As much as they try to hide stuff, that it will come out and any future global promo they do try to do, they'll probably be asked about this and can't hopefully shy away from it as they could shy away from the question in an earlier era. That would just be my hope for groups with this company. What I hope also is that J-pop groups that have nothing to do with this company are not asked those questions as if they represent that group. That's just an annoying flattening of the belief in how an entertainment world works. They shouldn't be responsible for each other in that way, viewed as separate entities completely. But anyway, let's move into still concerning territory, but I guess relatively not as heavy. There are quite a few court case updates, some including 50-50. Check out some of the past episodes of the show that are headline roundup episodes for my past coverage on this back and forth. I'm not repeating it. But the latest is from August 16th onwards. Apparently, there was an attempt to a 50-50 and their agencies mediate. The mediation failed, so now they are intent on going to trial. A two-hour discussion fell apart as well between the executives, legal reps, and some of the members' parents. The group themselves, August 17th, filed criminal charges against Attract, the company. 
The lawsuit actually goes against Jun Han Jun. He started the group at Star Crew Entertainment, which by the way he's been accused of mismanaging too, before moving the group to Attract for their debut. They accuse him of pocketing their money, then saddling Attract with Star Crew Entertainment's debt, basically. The group issued a lengthy statement August 18th. It was lengthy, but also not really saying much. It wasn't super revealing. Just encouraging people to not believe rumors and support them despite this troubling time. They didn't clarify what media rumors should not be believed. It was very vague. Then the show, Unanswered Questions, released an episode about their alleged mistreatment under a tract. Then Dispatch claimed, hey, we found proof that TV program was biased and not trustworthy, blaming Attract for things that actually this other company, The Givers, did. For example, a scene where it seems like the girls have food that's thrown on the floor by Attract employees, according to Unanswered Questions, Dispatch revealed those were actually The Givers employees. So then some people were up in arms at this program, saying, hey, you skewed the coverage of this. How do we trust your reporting on it? There was a condemnation issued by both the Korea Entertainment Producers Association and the Korea Management Federation. One main issue, besides feeling like it lost the company credibility, was the way it used a gambling analogy when talking about the music industry. Critics said that was belittling the hard work artists put into what they do, to call it a gamble. Obviously, this episode will probably never air again. The program did issue an apology and promised to do better in the future, super vague, not saying how or in what ways. The trailer for the episode is gone as of recording time, at least from the main YouTube channel. It attracted over 10k comments, largely critical ones. Here are my two cents. First of all, I do just feel bad for 50-50. So much momentum from their hit single Cupid has been squashed because of business issues, a story that's probably way more common than we think, potential stamped out by business disputes. So I just want this to hurry up and be wrapped up so they can move on with their career while there's still some momentum around them. But second of all, I feel like the people criticizing the TV program were a little harsh. I don't know. I really do value objectivity and fairness in coverage, but to me it's kind of a distinction without a difference to say this program showed givers employees and labeled them attract ones. It's not like the program said they were never mistreated. It is doing what it should have done, exposing mistreatment. The fact that they used the wrong word for who did the mistreatment, despite those companies being quite linked to each other, that feels like kind of a an honest mistake? Am I being too nice to them? I don't know. It just felt to me like blasting them as being super biased, super one-sided, was a little out of proportion with the errors in the content. Sometimes it's bound to look biased just because it is a situation where one party looks way worse, and that's just how it is. I don't know, but that's the latest. In better legal news, Chu officially won her lawsuit against BlackBerry Creative, so her contract with them was officially declared null and void August 17th. Then, Baekhyun from XO, I talked about the XOCBX SM Entertainment drama at length in past episodes, we'll not rehash it here, but there is another weird twist in the story. Because he said that he started his own agency, temporarily called One Signature, with a friend. They hope to, quote, grow many good choreographers and dancers. It has yet to be made concrete, but I am researching a lot, unquote. 
He said he wants to be accountable for how this goes, so he took out a loan on his own to try to fund this venture. Then SM Entertainment issued a statement August 9th saying, what, this is news to us. They said he's not starting his own company, and if he is, he didn't tell them. They reiterated, hey man, your contract doesn't end with us until January. They declined to disclose specifics about the new payment plan agreed upon with him and the other XO members. They did confirm that agreement. The new agreement permits them to pursue more solo projects, but this one they sound mad about. Quote, although we are flustered, we trust that he will keep the promises he made during our mutual agreement. Unquote. Beckian also said he's taking a step back from making solo music under SM to work on this new company, which SM statement totally denies and says, no, he's working on a new solo album for us as we speak. Let's move on and talk about some live entertainment news. What did you all think of KCON this year? I have to be honest, I couldn't go for some personal reasons. Keeping me in your thoughts and prayers is nice. But anyway, this isn't about me. I'm curious how it went this year because I honestly didn't feel the FOMO I thought I would. Because there were some issues, first of all, with the weather, the hurricane, earthquake, hurricane, what the heck warning, that it didn't sound like it canceled anything. It just moved stuff indoors more, at least the lines. But then, I don't know, the fashion seemed mad this year. John Ho from ATs had to leave for an ankle injury. There was the uncomfortable black ocean moment going dark because during the show, Rain was performing and people were upset that they viewed him as kind of abandoning groups like Cypher that he created. So people were very upset. I just don't like to see that. So unlucky weather, mid-fashion, and the black ocean where the light sticks go dark. But there were also very cool, fun-looking parts of the show. It looked to me from coverage of this, from footage and pictures, that the photo card wall this time was like a wall. Like they didn't have what they did last year with the rows on a table of cards to look at and pick from. Instead, now it was on like a vertical holding organizer. I don't like that, frankly. Now I'm being bitter and petty, I guess. But isn't it easier if you are walking down the line and seeing them spread out on a table than getting clustered around vertical hanging walls? I don't know. Maybe I just saw one angle. But feel free to let me know. Was this year a bummer? Was it exciting? Was it uh, you had to be there excitement? How much were people's spirits down due to weather and stuff? Actually, in other K-pop crowds, I've noticed how optimistic they are when things are going wrong. So it probably was, here's a full circle moment, it probably was like the Jamboree participants said, a chance to make the best of a situation and adapt on the fly. I guess that's the theme of the day. There are even more updates to get to, so I'm going to run through them lightning fast, so buckle up. Lots of 17 updates, now that the Japanese compilation Always Yours is here, with new songs Ima and Sarah Sarah. The video is super cute, and we'll talk about it more in an upcoming episode. FML became their first Korean album to sell over a million copies in Japan. The group surpassed 10 million YouTube subscribers. They've announced the launch of new artist-made merch collections, some out in September, four out early 2024, five out late 2024. I wonder if they're announcing the plan for throughout 2024 to kind of prepare us mentally. I have a feeling they're going to announce, they have not as of recording time, but soon I bet they'll announce military plans. And the enlistment plans, they hope it goes over easier, giving us an early heads up about things we could still look forward to as carrots throughout next year.
I was really hoping for one last quick world tour before enlistment. Not sure how likely that seems, especially now that Esku has to spend the year recovering from that ACL surgery, which went well, so there's that. Plus, Soon Guan is on a break, but he did say he wants to join for a planned October comeback. Really hope emotionally he feels ready for that and doesn't push himself to do it. Jimin now has three solo Guinness World Records. Most streamed song on SoundCloud, most streamed song on SoundCloud in the first 24 hours, and fastest K-pop soloist to reach a billion Spotify streams. There are new webtoons from NCT and new SM Entertainment boy group Rise, R-I-I-Z-E. NCT Dream Contact started August 18th and has five episodes. Starting August 19th was Rise and Realize. That webtoon has 24 episodes that will come out on Saturdays. This is the first intellectual property collab between Kaiko and SM since Kaiko acquired nearly 40% of SM shares. Some members of the boy group Ace changed their stage names and now go by their real names. Byungguan and Wow are the only ones who chose to keep their stage names, which is quite funny. Their official names and then Wow. The K Global Heart Dream Award wins include a lot of people. I'll just list the Bonsain winners. Taeyeon, Sulgi, Seventeen, Stacy, Stray Kids, Itzy, Zero Base One, AT's The Boys, and an hyphen. Some of the new Asian Hall of Fame inductees will include Lisa from Blackpink, Freddie Mercury, Far East Movement, Johnny Cash, Nintendo, Yuichi Sakamoto, and Jennifer Lee, aka producer Toki Monsta. Stray Kids are set to perform at the VMAs, and TXT are nominated, as are Blackpink, 5050, 17, Espa. There are so many big fashion brand collaborations now with K-pop stars, like even more than usual lately. And for cosmetics and stuff, hair, beauty, fashion, Lisa from IVE and Cha Unwu now rep the North Face, Felix is a Louis Vuitton house ambassador, Kwon Unbi reps Nine Wishes, Minnie from G-Idol reps Miu Miu, Tiffany Yun reps Mashkino, Le Seraphim Sakura reps Primera, Hyunwan reps Givenchy Beauty, Hyunwan from Monster X, and Shenyu from Monster X reps I'm From, Lee Yunji is the first Korean global ambassador coach has ever had, and TXT are the first group ambassador Dior has ever chosen. From Ian Dior to the Dior. Contract updates. Red Velvet Sulgi renewed, but Girls Generation Sunny left SM Entertainment. BDC is leaving brand new music as a group. Bang Yi Dam joined GF Entertainment. Eric Nam signed a co-management deal with Naima, which will help with local fan activity in the Philippines. Kyu Hyun from Super Junior joined Antenna Music. Shin Jimin from AOA left Alo Malo Entertainment upon a contract expiration. New to Instagram and TikTok is Akmu. New to Twitter, Yisun. New to Instagram as well, six members of Stray Kids. There are new social channels now for the Queendom Puzzle winners, the Boys Planet winners. Shenyu and Hyunwan were on Good Day New York. Ace member June is back from the military. But enlisting now is Very Very's Donhun and Suga. Kyunyoon left DKZ. The next season of The Seasons has found its hosts in ACMU. Night 2 of IVE's World Tour kickoff in Seoul will be live-streamed via Beyond Live October 8th. NCT's tail might need surgery for a leg fracture due to a motorcycle accident, so he's on hiatus. Ravi received a sentence for military service evasion, just probation. 
B-Lift is now entirely owned by Hyde. So the company behind Enhyphen that was a joint venture with CJE&M has now been fully bought by Hyde. And for the first time, for the half-year mark, Hybis surpassed 1 trillion Korean won in revenue. Unfortunately, people continue to catch COVID, including two members of Zero Base One. Twice are the fastest female Korean act to surpass 7 billion Spotify streams. Taeyeon Shalala surpassed 14 million Spotify streams. Jisoo surpassed 75 million Instagram followers. Treasure are million sellers for the first time for Reboot. Blackpink are the first girl group to ever sell out Allegiant Stadium, only the third female act to sell out MetLife Stadium, and they recently surpassed 11 billion cumulative Spotify streams as the only girl group to ever do so. Lastly, my thoughts continue to go out to all the victims of the Maui wildfires. So today's action item of the day is where to give directly to on-the-ground relief efforts with the seal of approval from the group Our Hawaii. If you go to https colon two backslashes bit.ly backslash kokua maui k-o-k-u-a m-a-u-i or backslash m-a-u-i mutual aid with an e at the end a-i-d-e. You can also help at hawaiiancouncil.org backslash Maui, M-A-U-I, or visit hawaiicommunityfoundation.org backslash Maui dash strong, S-T-R-O-N-G. Please keep them in your thoughts and prayers, even when a new cycle moves on. That trauma doesn't, and we need to continue to think of them. Thank you all for tuning in, and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody!